0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music
1: What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Pure Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week, guys, we have Mr. Sonny K. Sonny K is the founder of Gold Standard Laboratories. It's a record label that has now uh, gone under, but what an influential label it was uh, back in the day. It just awesome, awesome bands. Uh, very, very uh, progressive and it just, just an awesome, awesome label. Uh, Gold Standard Labs. I think I first discovered it uh, with the Mars Volta releases, um, and you know, just went down the rabbit hole from there. Um, but yeah, Gold Standard Laboratories was his label. Uh, he was in a band called the VSS. He was in a band called Angel Hair. He's now in a band called Mind Rider, and he has also uh, got a book coming out. Well, it's out now actually. Um, it's called Colorado Crew, and it's about the Colorado punk scene. Uh, it's in, it's an incredible book. I ordered it right after I talked to him. Um, I had no idea it was coming out, and that's kind of why we did this podcast to shed some light on that. Um, But go search Colorado Crew, and uh, you'll find it. It's on Amazon. Uh, There's a blog with it as well, so go check that out. Uh, But I mean, Sunny has been some of the most influential bands, you know, in the screamo genre um, all the way up till till now. I mean, just an awesome dude, and he's also an artist. Uh, He does some amazing, amazing work. Um, So check out Sunny K. Uh, check out his artwork, check out his music. Um, you mean his music influenced a ton of different bands that you may not have known uh, were the influence. So uh, we had a great chat. He's an awesome dude. Um, my buddy Juan from uh, Mars Volta uh, plays bass for Marilyn Manson now introduced us, and uh, we got it done. So big thanks to Sonny for coming on. Big thanks to Juan. Uh, all, Juan's episode will be out later this month. Um, that was also a good one. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this chat uh, with Sonny. So peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. Uh, peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the way to email me, um, get me guest ideas, questions, comments, you know, all that good stuff. I and mean, you guys have been awesome with the uh, feedback, and uh, we got lots of cool stuff coming to you. So I appreciate you guys coming back week after week. Um, not a lot going on here this week just want to get this episode out. Sorry it's a day late. Uh just had the refrigerator went out at the house and we had to get that replaced and yeah, chaos, family chaos. It happens all the time. But sorry it's a day late, but uh we are here and uh it's coming to you. So anyways, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Sunny K from Gold Standard Laboratories. <music> slash ppp for 30% off
0: welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute what's the name of that podcast that's axe to grind uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all (laughs) and my name's bob and my name's patrick and usually we're joined by tom
1: and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series.
0: Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.
1: Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad free experience. Tier 2 gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier 3 is $20 a month. um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Pure pleasure dot FM is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Hello. Hey, Sonny. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Can you hear me? Okay.
0: Yes, I can dude. I can hear you just awesome
1: excellent you sound great as well
0: <laughs> <laughs> right on happy new
1: year hey same to you brother how was uh how was your new year's
0: uh very pleasant very uh low-key uh as they usually are and um just a uh, handful of friends and um you know it was a uh, nice way to nice way to do it
1: nice nice yeah I went the other route and was in bed by nine
0: thirty. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I have years like that too.
1: Yeah, I got three kids and and uh, yeah, work, work a physical job and everything else I so was it was like a normal night for me because I, I mean sure. I'm off today, of course, but then I'm back tomorrow and and we did you know a full day on New Year's Eve, and I was like, man, I'm just uh, not feeling it this year, so I just went to
0: bed. <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> what, what do you do for work?
1: Uh, I'm a commercial plumber now. I was a touring musician for oh, 12 okay. years and then got out of that and, and uh, needed a career that would support a family. So I got into sure. an apprenticeship program with the trade and yeah, you now wow. I'm a foreman for a plumbing company up here in, in Portland. So
0: Wow, okay, right on. That's cool.
1: Yeah, so it was a total change of events that I didn't have any idea I would enjoy, but I actually enjoy <laughs> it quite a bit, so
0: nice man hey whatever works
1: yeah man so it's always a hustle but it's just uh yeah it is what it is and and uh that's why i have the show so i can stay and feel somewhat creative still you know what i mean oh cool
0: yeah that makes sense
1: yeah i'm not like a outlet yeah i'm not a visual artist or anything and i mean music was my thing and then once that dried up it was just like okay well uh i could still keep in touch with people do the podcast and it's been a really interesting ride.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Have you known Juan for a long time?
1: No, I haven't. I just not okay. Juan and I have never met. Like we uh, I'm friends with Nick Reinhardt. And uh oh,
0: okay. He introduced
1: right. me to Juan. So interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And yeah, shout out to Juan for hooking this up. But uh yeah, he just hit me up out of nowhere. He's like, Hey, do you want to talk to Sonny K? I was like, Absolutely. He's like, oh, oh, cool. let me hook this up. So great. Yeah, it was awesome. It was, uh, yeah, it was. uh, We had a good chat. That was a fun, a fun chat we had. So, um, yeah, looking forward to meeting. I think he's probably coming through with Manson or somebody this year at some point. So we'll we'll run into each other then. But sure. But uh, he gets around. Yeah, he sure does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sonny K, welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast, my friend.
0: Wow, my pleasure! Thank you. It's great to be here,
1: dude. This is uh, this is really cool. I like I was just saying with with Juan, like it was kind of out of nowhere. I was like, oh fuck, hell yeah, yeah, let's do this! So uh, awesome, yeah. awesome man. Well, you've done so many different things, and so. One one thing that I'll I'll bring up in the beginning because I worked for a venue for a while in Portland called uh, Retore and it was called um, Ritore, Branks like a, a bunch of different names. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I worked with Mac Man and Aaron Montaigne and oh, okay. uh, for a lot of years uh, doing I was doing like security or bar work or you know they were all okay. you know, bartenders up here or doing the door or whatever right. and. Uh, so I started out in like a, a screamo band called the Navi of a Ghost, and we were on Fearless Records, and oh, cool. we we had no idea what came before us. Like we, I mean, <laughs> and so <laughs> we were watching. I forget who we were watching. I think it was uh, Smegma was playing. I think, and um, it was like frustrating me because I didn't get it, and right. I just didn't understand. I was like, what is this like why is this happening why are the why is the club packed for this was my other question and mac was right. at the bar and mac takes he's like all right hold on a second and you i think you probably know mac pretty well um yes. or, so he grabs a pack of like swizzle sticks or whatever the things you stir coffee with and he's mm-hmm. like all right he takes it picks it up in his hand and drops it on the counter and said that's music that was music right there like what you think <laughs> is music you i mean you've been fed this stuff blah 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 music can be anything and it like completely blew my mind opened my eyes to all this stuff Ooh. and there was always this weird album cover on like the the um the the actual record sitting up above the bar which was gems masochism but by, by antioch arrow and what? i had no idea he i didn't know who that band was i didn't know anything uh-huh, about it. and okay. so then i started like he's like you know where this style of music you guys play came from like listen to the vss listen to angel hair listen to like 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 dropping back to all these bands and i was like jesus christ this is a whole scene i had no idea existed Interesting. and uh, so yeah so that's how i got into your stuff so it was like like gsl and all that stuff like going from at the drive-in what's omar doing now then i got into gsl and like and that's kind of my foray into that and then found three one g and all these you know oh, so that's sure. kind of how i got familiar with what you were doing and so that's why when wad texted me i was like oh fuck yeah this would be awesome so um yeah let's jump back where 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 did you come from where do you where'd you grow up
0: uh well let's see i was uh i was born in england uh my my dad was in the film industry and uh we moved around a lot when i was very young but uh, i moved to california when i was seven and grew up in la and uh until I was 15, at which point I moved to uh, right outside Boulder, Colorado. Uh, And then I was in Colorado until I finished college. And um, at that point, the VSS was kind of going full swing. Yeah. And uh, we all um, were collectively pretty burnt on Colorado by then. And um, we all, as a band, moved to the Bay Area at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so uh kind of bounced around the west coast for the next uh uh gosh nearly 20 years um yeah i've 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 lived all over the place um but uh yeah so that's how that all that all happened i so it's it's hard to say where i'm from i mean i guess i'm from england but i feel like um just as you know i I feel like i'm as from boulder as i am from la too you Mm -hmm. know it's it's Mm -hmm. uh little bit all it all feeds into it i, I suppose
1: it's weird how it all works like i grew up in alaska yeah. moved out when i was 18 moved to portland i've been in portland ever since so now i've been in portland longer than i was in alaska so now i can consider <laughs> myself a portlander or whatever they call right it. But, yeah uh,
0: but like you remember more your brain was softer when you're in alaska so you remember more exactly
1: probably. exactly so, way more memories yeah. and yeah like sense sense memories and all that stuff like yeah Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely know that. And, and so you said your dad was in the film industry. So w- yes, you come from a musical family or is it, or was it not, more of an artistic? Not at family? all. Not at yeah, all. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, both my parents are, uh, uh, uh were, are, my dad, my dad passed away quite a long time ago now, but, um, both he and my mom are very, I would consider them, consider them creative people. And, um, my dad uh, was, uh, yeah, my dad was uh, a writer and a film director and um, was in the industry basically from childhood, kind of never really did anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom has been um, sort of a jack of all trades, but um, I feel like a lot of my creative impulse uh, comes from her and um, the very imaginative things that she did. Um, not only to make money when when we were a, a young family, but just um, the sort of uh, variety of things that she that she put her mind to, just this you know kind of um, like I said, just a sort of uh, limitless uh, way of uh, approaching life, which I'm sure she would be embarrassed to hear me say now and, and <laughs> deny. But um, it really, yeah, I mean, it was um she just was a, a real creative thinker in, in in what was a pretty stressful situation so uh, I feel like a lot of that ha- has rubbed off on me even kind of like subconsciously you know
1: yeah that's fascinating so so you say like a stressful situation like of course growing up raising kids but but was this uh from all like the moving around and and like work it, with your dad going up and down with with my,
0: yeah my my dad's career began faltering before he ever had a family. Oh, okay. Unfortunately. And, uh, there was a huge age gap between my parents. My dad was twice as old as my mom. Oh, wow. And okay. so, uh, yeah, so it was, a, it, it, it was a pretty odd situation right out the gate. And, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, they, and they immediately moved, you know, they got married in England, in London, and then immediately moved to Johannesburg, South Africa. Okay. and uh her, you know oh. needless to say my mom my mom's family were pretty uh shocked by all that
1: uh-huh.
0: and um i i just i think probably had no idea how this was all going to play out but um yeah we spent a few years kind of bouncing around the world and stuff and you know the, the thing was um it all sounds kind of uh exciting and um adventurous and i guess it some in some ways it was definitely but um yeah we were broke that for for that whole time and for many years after that. And so, um, by the time we got to California, um, it was really on my mom to be the the breadwinner for our mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look at things that she was doing to try and revive my dad's career. and I have the I have like physical evidence of these things that she would make. I mean, she have this framed portrait of him uh, that she made by typing, on a clear piece of uh, so she um she took saran wrap uh and taped it to a piece of typing paper and then put put that over a photograph of my dad and then with a typewriter um just kind of typed out the dark parts of the photo so she wound up with this portrait of my dad cre- uh written in, in typed the, the typed words of his um, resume. What? I mean, it's like a kind of, it's like an amazing, incredibly um, touching thing. You know what I mean? That's it's like incredible. this. Yeah. And, I, and I, I just found it in a box one day. I was like, I need to frame this before it gets destroyed. Um, anyway, I, I, I feel like it's, it's um, wherever that came from in her is, so, I, I feel more connection to that kind of thinking than i do um to anything necessarily like connected with filmmaking or anything like that yeah if that makes any sense more kind of like hands-on diy um, like type of uh yeah and yes exactly diy
1: wow that's fantastic (laughs) that's something like i remember like you could do the there was like a program or something once computers started taking off where you could do that with like a one of those those printers that used to have the the two tabs like a dot matrix, a, type dot of matrix. Thing. yeah 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 and it would make someone's face out of like zeros and ones or whatever
0: exactly the <laughs> kind of thing that you could just run a filter on now in, in a second and not even think about it
1: yeah right. but it took her probably oh my probably, god
0: probably took her six or eight hours to do it
1: that's insane that's like the sweetest <laughs> business card ever like the the yeah. ones where what is it um who does uh kurt bellew does the the circuit board? that uh, was a business card that becomes a fuzz pedal when you put it in a in a body oh, and wow. connect it. Amazing! It's insane. Oh, yeah. Like like create crazy ideas like that, but that's amazing. Yeah, and a beautiful sentiment like that's
0: absolutely wow. And, and you know, the, and the bitter irony of it, it didn't help his career whatsoever. But yeah. Um, <laughs> It's this amazing relic. For me, it's like the closest thing that I have to an heirloom really in the family, you know.
1: Yeah, but that's like that's like a that's as good as a quilt or a, like anything that the hands touched and that's straight from her mind and it shows how much she adored your your father. Like and and was behind him. Like like yeah. That is was strong.
0: Yeah, so um that's that's certainly I feel like we're um where this uh uh, kind of spark in, in me originates.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first kind of, uh, the first musical taste you started getting into and, and think how you kind of jumped onto that?
0: Well, um, so, uh, yeah, yes. Like it, just bits and pieces here and there. My, my earliest musical memories are, um, my grandfather in England had his huge, um, like a hi-fi kind of, uh, thing that was almost like a piece of furniture more than a stereo yeah. you know and uh he ha- had loved bill haley and rock around the clock um i guess probably since it had originally come out and mm-hmm. so he would b- break that record out uh every now and then at, at family functions. so my my earliest memories are of, of listening to um probably 78 of that i guess i I don't wow. actually what specific format it is. I don't know, but that I would have been like three or four in England hearing that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, by the time I got to California and stuff, my, the first, my first real, my first record I got was, um, was Rick D's disco duck, I think, wow. <laughs> or, um, or Mickey Mouse disco. One of those two, one of those two. And that uh, uh-huh. also, um, yeah. Uh, got, yeah, God, it's kind of all coming back to me now I also I was also pretty early on just sort of accidentally to do you know who Miko is yeah yeah the guy who did like the disco Star Wars stuff mm-hmm. like um, I I got those records sort of like promo records uh, right as all that stuff was happening it was so confused by it and, th- and didn't really you know yeah but anyway those were some of my some, some of the first some of the first musical uh, that's some of the first music that I owned.
1: Yeah. Wow. So so and when did so I know your mom was doing these kind of you were talking about she's doing all these kind of DIY like hands on and like creative things. But yeah. Did 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 your taste for and your your affection for artwork um, come into play at the same time music did like kind of just been creeping in and out or was that something that was completely separate?
0: Uh, I was pretty separate actually. I I was encouraged to draw and stuff from the time I was pretty young and i I think i had shown a a little bit of um a a little bit of a hardwired interest in that you know and Mm -hmm. um had good penmanship and stuff when i was really young and um so i was you know for for birthdays and that kind of thing i was always being given pencils and and drawing pads and that kind of stuff but um frankly like the art thing was all it was it was it was sort of um, a slow burner kind of for me in the background. It kind of wasn't very um, disciplined with it really in any way at all, even in, co- even in college, which I was like, you know, which I was going to school to do art for, And, and um, uh, yeah, by that point, I mean, that late music had totally eclipsed art, but the music thing just sort of ha- just started happening kind of, um, just sort of on my my own volition I guess I I had, I had by the time we moved to California i had um some friends in school whose parents were in the in the music business and so I immediately went I was immediately even though our, our, our household wasn't particularly musical um, I would go to these kids' houses where there'd be thousands of records mm-hmm. and so um, yeah, I started kind of um, just dabbling in the most obvious things at that point which would be like the beatles and um really just the beatles actually i I was kind of obsessed with the beatles for a few years probably in fourth fourth fifth grade Mm -hmm. and um would just borrow one or two records at a time from these from this uh pair uh twin boys who i was friends with and um just kind of absorb the whole beatles catalog Mm -hmm. um inside out and then, um, at which point I kind of, yeah, from that, that just sort of threw the do- doors open and I got, um, got really into like, first of all, like new, first of all, heavy metal and stuff. Cause there was older kids on my block who were into like, um, you know, early Ozzy Osbourne records yes. and, um, <laughs> you know, uh, the new ACDC at that point uh-huh. was, uh, after Bon Scott's death. And, yeah. um, so that stuff was real big for me for a few years. And then I got into, uh, Culture Club and Duran Duran, and then finally, like Echo with the Bunnyman, and all that kind of stuff. And then, that from that point on, I was just sort of, um, you know, punk and underground music just sort of became the only thing I was really all that interested in, yeah, for, for decades.
1: Wow, that's <laughs> such a cool ride. It's so sad that that won't happen anymore, you know. Like, I mean, maybe here and there, borrowing records, borrowing tapes, whatever, you know. Ha- ha- having to only hear stuff from that medium as far as not being able to just go on your phone you know and absolutely my kids want to listen to a song now they just say can you pull it up on your phone yeah sure you know but there's never going to be any of that like tape trading really like or or or, like borrowing records like you were doing like that's sure such a precious time that's just gone and it sucks so yeah because i mean
0: you know the 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 beatles arguably like you know, I mean, they're, they're so well represented in the culture at large, like that wouldn't, you know, it's, it's more, to me, it's more sad and things like things that are really like underground things or things that, you know, it used to require real long-term personal investment to, to be into something that wasn't part of the the parent culture in your face all the time. You know what I mean? You have to really work at it and seek it out and in some cases spend money and, more than anything, just wait. And there's, yeah, there, there was a lot of, um, there was a, a lot of, uh, emotional investment in that weight that, that was that the, you know, whatever the weight was for really was a, was a, that was a payoff. Yeah. And that, that kind of, I don't know if it's a dopamine flush or what that just does. Yeah. It just doesn't, it's not going to happen quite the same way anymore. And it, that is, you're right. It is, it's, 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 it's it's a sad um, casualty of this whole, like, cultural sh- shift taking place.
1: Yeah. And it's sad. I mean, it's sad to us, too, because we experienced it. But, you know, the people that didn't won't even know what they're missing. It's still like that old sure. kind of like when back in my day, you know, like before the Internet, yeah. like I remember before the Internet. Absolutely. And it was awesome. And we didn't know about the Internet. Once the Internet's here, they take it away. It's going to be a nightmare. Like, you know, if you didn't know about that ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Like yeah. It's, it's uh Yeah. And it forced people to digest things a little slower, too. When you got the record, you know, you'd play it through over and over and over again instead of, like, oh, I'm going to yeah. go to artists like on Spotify and, and, you know, go through yeah. them it forced you to and you appreciated it you had the artwork that went along with it that was supposed to um uh there's a this is a tangent maybe but I, in college i was going through this writing and photography class and it was like this um it was this credit i needed for something anyway they were talking about how um how photography changed artwork as far as um, like the Mona Lisa was meant to be seen in a certain room under a certain mm. light. And now you can look at it on the plane. You can look at it in the bathroom, anywhere, any size, you know, it was, it was, it was not meant to be viewed like that. Sure. Cause there was a, a, an experience that went along with it. And uh, that kind of ties ties that together in my mind where it's, you know, you don't have that anymore. Like now it's anywhere. It's on your Spotify. It's on your, you know, your, yeah. uh, your computer you're not holding it the the exact way it was meant to be seen, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy to me.
0: And I, I you know, I'm reluctant to, I, I try not to get too emotional about formats because, uh, I mean, people who really, um, people who really, uh, feel passionate about vinyl, for example, like I, I, I understand, you know, vinyl sounds warmer mm-hmm. and, um, you know, people are going to argue the pros and cons of, formats forever but at the end of the day they're really just a, a vehicle for the content which is is what the focus of the emotional investment should be
1: oh absolutely
0: and you know and like so for me splitting hairs over records versus eight tracks versus you know streaming and stuff it's it's uh that part of the argument i i like i just kind of ceased to care about a long time ago but it's the um yeah i think it's the it's certainly like technology will come along with something that replaces uh, or, or or, maybe not repl- maybe replaces the wrong word, but something something will 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 develop that sort of serves the same purpose. Yeah, and I, you know, like I, I've been anticipating um, the age of like the 3D holographic projector for your living room so you can have um you know, the who live at Leeds, like actually have them at any size and scale you want, like Star Wars style, <laughs> like playing on your, yes. on your dining table or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think, we're, I don't think that that's that far away and it sounds kind of weird and silly, but I, I like, once that technology is refined, like there could be an incredibly awesome visual component to experiencing music that we haven't even thought of yet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know that 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 renders the idea of a record cover quaint. Sure, you know. Sure, but until that happens, yeah, we're sort of in this this weird um, cultural limbo where um, it feels like a real important aspect of something is being lost. Um, on our watch, you know, that's that weird. could be
1: creepy. That could be creepy. The things you could do. With that technology, I mean, which has probably (laughs) already been done, but like that would bypass like VR and all that stuff where there's this, um, oh my God, I just saw it recently. There's a, there's a, um, I forget the name of the disease that that comes on kind of like Parkinson's and all that, where it kind of comes on slow. But once you know you have it, you know, there's like a certain amount of time you start to lose your speech and your, your, but so you go through and record a ton of words. Just you talking, Ooh. and then once you once you lose that uh, ability to do that, the when you're communicating through whatever device you're communicating through, it comes through in your voice.
0: Wow, that's wild! But it, it, <laughs> that's it's amazing. so crazy. But like,
1: you could have, you know, like kids now could have home videos and home movies of their parents in like live VR or like hologram, like it, like the person never left. It's yeah. insane. Wow. Yeah. The, the amount of power behind that is so terrifying, but also yeah. intriguing. So we'll never stop. We'll keep going until what you know. That's a whole other thing with the the sure. AI and stuff. But like that kind of stuff freaks me out. But it also just makes me crazy curious about <laughs> what could be. You know. And when you brought yeah. that up, the hologram having that like on your coffee table, you know, just like oh, let's watch this show. It'd be like sitting in the nosebleeds, looking down at the at the at the band. It's insane, sure. and they've already I done that with like Kanye, really, haven't they, or something like they? Or somebody. yeah, I mean,
0: I yeah, I saw the I saw the Tupac, uh, oh, Tupac, yeah, yeah, I saw I saw the thing at Coachella a few years ago, which was pretty. Uh, I don't know, it was unimpressive from like half a mile away, but sure. maybe up close it's cool. Um, but uh, I would imagine, like when the Rolling Stones and people like that play these days, I I would think that there's probably like super high def cameras all, all like in a 360 degree array or, around the stage I, I would think so just kind of you know mm-hmm. with, with next technology sort of on deck you know yeah. what i mean i i would think that they're shooting stuff with that kind of thing in mind now and it, I, I i'd be stunned if they weren't actually like yeah. somebody that big you know
1: oh yeah just as yeah absolutely as much content as they can get in as many ways yeah. to be on point with that that's that's crazy that's crazy <laughs> to think about i and
0: it sure is it I makes mean, the whole idea of just like playing a show seems so you know antiquated yeah just you know rolling up and just just playing to an audience
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it takes it every- <laughs> yeah it just completely eliminates all that like just yeah oh my god well when did when did <laughs> When you started doing, like, uh, when you started doing music, like, you started playing out and, and starting bands and stuff, like, that was that was uh, quite an interesting time as well. Like, just looking back, the fact that it was completely missed on me, like, I did not even know about it until I'd already been touring for years and years. Mm. I don't know how that escaped me until, you know, working with those guys at the club. I mean, but then, like, any of the bands I talk to now, like, their influences come so much from that scene like even just like like greg from vox like uh this band from colorado like mm-hmm. i was randomly on instagram and he posted a picture of mindrider which, which i need to ask you about this too because i can't find anything on it uh <laughs> yeah anywhere like i i was like holy shit yeah. sonny's got a new band wait a minute where, that doesn't exist online. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. But yeah, he's like, yeah. I
1: haven't seen it. You know, a Sunny K band since the VSS. You know, played with so and so. Like, it was, it was. You know, and they're one of the the my favorite bands to tour with. But like, for some reason we never talked about that whole scene. You know, like it just was past me. But it was so influential. You know, how was that like at the time? Like, like starting this band when everything was just like firing off. Like it was just. I mean, what was that scene like for you when when you were such a big part of it?
0: Well, um, it seemed like there were things going on everywhere at that time. You know what I mean? I I don't know, you know, without without, um, sort of fixating on the Internet – repeatedly here mm-hmm. I, uh, looking back at the 90s now it sure seems like a, a, a kind of a golden era in terms of just how much interest there was and how much stuff was going on and how much support there was for everything mm-hmm. so so there were sort of like these scenes going on all over the country that um, you know arguably some of them are, are still going on now or happening in other places but it just it seemed to me like there was a lot more happening um, back then but um, uh, regardless like it it, it it seemed like everywhere you went there was there was tons of venues and bands happening everywhere and stuff so it, the the other part the flip side of that was that you know in the, even even as like nir- the whole like Nirvana thing was and, and then Green Day and Offspring and stuff those bands were blowing up and becoming mainstream and huge Um there was still for the first half of the nineties, I would say there was still, or even maybe even beyond like the expectation of actually like achieving commercial success, doing that was not on the table. You know what I mean? It like there was, there was the, the, maybe the hope of underground notoriety and the, and the possibility of, of, of achieving the kind of success, which would just let you keep doing it for a few years. But Outside of that, like um, you know, I don't think anybody was necessarily aspiring to anything. So it kind of was more uh, about um, how you know you sort of measured yourself against not only you know the bands in town, like or or you know other other bands you're playing with, going on tour and stuff, uh, your your peer group with your your the whole scope of, of everything just seemed, um, a little, well, I I would say maybe a lot more narrow Mm -hmm. in this, in this, in the sense that it was just, it still felt kind of invisible in, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the the world at large, Okay, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, although we were, uh, you know, like with Angel Hair, and then even even more so with the VSS and stuff, starting to get, um, you know, st- starting to enjoy some kind of st- nominal success, and and you know, repeated repeatedly playing the same cities and stuff, getting slightly larger crowds each time and stuff like it was growing, but um, you know, it still felt like. Um, we'd all be working day jobs forever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It didn't seem like there were that beyond beyond that didn't seem, uh, like that's, that's just what it was. And that's, and that was good enough. That was, that was, that was, um, that was just part of the understanding. Right. And, um, so anyway, to answer your question, I guess like, uh, um, are what I felt like our, um, sphere of of influence was like as far as who like the effect that we were having and and the things that were affecting us it all just felt like it was on a much smaller scale than it than it would now or than it feels you know then and then certainly to 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 know that anybody like subsequent bands and stuff got influenced by any of that stuff or anything like that at the time that that seemed like such a distant kind of notion it like just i'm sure it wasn't even uh entering anyone's minds you know and and so uh you know there was a lot of influence from from band to band certainly and like um i felt like angel hair started as one thing and then um you know the the, angel hair was really two of us for a long time just for the first year just trying to keep the band going with people coming and going constantly. And then finally the, the lineup solidified. <clears throat> and very soon after that, we started, to, you know, finding ourselves on the West coast a lot, playing with other gravity bands and, and um, the, the influence actually, particularly of Antioch arrow and, and click attack, and could K- specifically on, I think all of us as musicians, like was pretty immediate and pretty, I don't want to say uh, drastic because I mean, we're still all, you know, it took a while to really reverberate with each of us in in its own way. But I think um, those two groups in particular just seemed like they were occupying just a, they were just on a whole other plane. Their minds were just not uh, in hardcore, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really. (laughs) Even though, You know, to look back on it now, the, you know, it, it's um, the the relative differences seem so subtle or so nuanced, but at the time they were they seemed they were they were apparently much bigger, or or felt it all felt much more. Um, uh, do you understand what I'm trying to say? It, it, it's kind of like, yeah. It, yeah, it didn't it. Uh, I'm not doing a very good job of articulating that point. It's uh, <laughs> uh, they 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 were uh, they were certainly punk, you know they were certainly hardcore bands and guys who had been in even like more kind of like extreme like kind of like straight edge type bands and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it still was um, things were so uh, conservative and, and frankly, kind of like puritanical in the, in the particularly the, what we call hardcore, mm-hmm. um, at that point that, um, those groups just sort of almost had this sort of, uh, I don't click attack in particular, I would say almost had kind of a, I don't want to say philosophical quality to them, but like, um, they just, they're, their lyrics weren't about typical subject matter and mm-hmm. the whole the they just um they were there playing a show with with in a library with a bunch of you know a bunch of other noisy bands but like uh, uh it, like uh figuratively speaking or something like that, they were, their minds were somewhere else. Yeah. At, at least it really felt that way. It felt like there was a, a real distinction being made.
1: Sure. They were progressing they or pr- progressive yes. as far as taking something or taking, you know, values and, and uh, like a base and then just moving it beyond like that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I totally understand what you're saying. And, and uh, you know, that's how, I mean, that's how it's happened through time. Like it just keeps going. Like someone sure. pushes it a little farther or pushes it a little differently or, opens someone's Absolutely, eyes to yeah. something or, or someone that's already influential gets influenced by someone else and then they take that influence and it blows up and and you know that's it that's that's yeah i know exactly what you're talking about there and and uh man and so through all that through so so band to band to band and that's one thing too like, like uh we have a mutual friend jp he's been in what 40 bands like (laughs) they just keep sprouting up i need what three bands this last year like
0: i I, yeah at least and they're yeah it's amazing
1: and it's just good stuff like it but it's so much it's just, just so much um there's so much out there and so much i mean they're just contributing so many things as you have to the world i mean it's 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 staggering it's staggering and also it seems like There's kind of a fine line there where you were talking about before, like, you know, you're still going to be working a day job, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's there's still, like, a purity there where it's not your main source of income, you Mm -hmm. know, and you do it because you want to do it, not because, shit, I've got a mortgage and so we need to put out another record real quick. Yeah. It So there's that purity to it. So it's really inspiring because the grind is still happening because – it needs to happen, not because of obligation, but because of I have to get this out. Like this has to happen. There's that, that yeah. fire behind it. And that's something I respect about that whole scene too, is, is just how much work went into it. You know, like I was kind of clouded in the, you know, Northwest. So like, like, but like I was in Alaska during the nineties. The so like I would get You know, mail order catalogs from like the Berkeley, like, like lookout records and uh, stuff like that, where we were really starting to get into that because we could play that stuff and learn to play guitar that way. And then after that, ironically, we got into the, the uh, grunge kind of era stuff to where, Mm, you know, I'm at a lock in for high school somewhere and my buddy has super unknown by Soundgarden. I'm like, Mm. holy shit, this is awesome to where (laughs) fast forward like 10, 15 years later uh, Manny Wolfson, the owner of Retore, is like, have you heard the first Soundgarden stuff? Like, come up here. I need to play you some records. And I was like, okay. And I was like, holy shit. Interesting. Ultra mega. Okay. And like, this is a whole nother band. Like it's a whole different thing, you know? And that's sure. in that progressing backwards, which was kind of this fun discovery, um, which brings us back to the first thing we were talking about, but, um, yeah, just that pet, that passion was there in the Bay Area too and it was also there in in Seattle and it was all over the place but sure. it's so cool yeah. to hear about, you know, this to me this scene that was I had just not been exposed to until after it had happened, you know, like and sure. uh, so when did you when did you decide to start GSL and like what was the inspiration for that? Uh
0: so there was a lot of um there was a lot of stuff going on in in Colorado, but Denver and Boulder primarily. Um, and there, there always had been, um, ever, ever since the sort of, you know, ever since punk started, it had had a presence there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Jello Biafra famously comes from Boulder and, um, you know, uh, other people were drifting in and out of town. It's just always had this kind of weird allure for kind of like underground personalities. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, you know, back in the early '90s, there was there was there was all this stuff happening, but really nobody um, documenting it or no, some of it, so much of it, just kind of coming and going um, without without leaving any kind of um, you know uh, memento behind. And um, yeah. uh, you know, like so many places, a lot of stuff was just was generic. But you know, I I've always felt and I, I don't. It's not. It's not purely just um, having lived there and feeling emotional or nostalgic about it. Like it definitely was um, a very uh, unique um, uh, arc to the things going on in Denver. And um, to that end, as a matter of fact, I've just uh, co-published a book with uh, old, good old, old friend of mine from that time, all about this stuff because we feel. Very strongly, like there was a lot of um, really interesting things that that were overlooked for for you know going on three four decades four decades now. So it's nice to be able to start to um, you know turn over that rock a little bit, so to speak. This is a book that's um, out now. Yeah, it's, as as a matter of fact, it's just come out last week. Are you serious? What's it called? Yeah, it's called Colorado Crew. Colorado Crew. Um, okay. Yeah, and it's actually uh, subtitled Denvoid 2. It's the sequel to a, uh, another book uh, my my co-writer Bob uh, put out uh, a few years ago, which was about Denver in the – more in the 80s, like 82 to 88 era. And then uh-huh. this new book it covers 88 to 96.
1: Oh, shit. I'm going to check that out after this. This is – that's awesome. I had no idea. But yeah. This is yeah, great. It was, uh, yeah, fortuitous
0: timing actually with us doing this. Yeah. Um, so so you, to get the kind word of,
1: out. you kind of got into to GSL. Was, I had Ian McKay on the show a while years ago and he was talking about in like disco if you want to be like a curator or historian like kind of document yeah. this scene. It's kind of the same thing where Exactly. Someone yeah. needs so to was, document this. Th-
0: yeah, there was all this stuff going on and I felt like if you know, if if we had been in the Bay Area or in New York or Uh, you know uh, some other place that had a had a long history of stuff to it going on and being documented that these groups um would be getting that kind of treatment and because they were in colorado um and and uh you know there was just there there was nobody there to do that stuff bob who i did the books with um did start a label when i first started becoming aware of, of hardcore and started going to shows and that kind of thing he was the local dude putting out local bands on you know seven inch records mm-hmm. and um once he stopped that kind of was it for for uh a couple of years he he um he moved away for a while and came back but uh it was sort of in that interim that there was this you know this kind of like explosion of stuff started happening and so I, at first I did, um, uh, there was an, another guy in a local band, a guy named Jared started a label called Titanic records. And, um, he put out a couple records for a band that I was in before angel hair and some other local bands. And so I was instrumental in, in that with him, just mm-hmm. like designing stuff and, and what have you. And very quickly that evolved into like, just the urge to really want to, you know, um, just start, yeah, just start curate my own kind of uh, selection of stuff. And um, the, first, yeah, so the, the, the real impetus was a group called Bunny Genghis, who were, um, you know, kind of like the most exciting thing happening in Boulder from about 1990 till uh, the end of 93. Okay. And, um, you know, they were... Um, kind of obnoxious, kind of, um, uh, rabble rousing, like, uh, just, um, culture jamming kind of guys uh-huh. who, um, who, uh, were just a thorn in the side of pretty much everybody, including other bands and stuff. And, and we're just the kind of embodied like, sort of like n- crazy kind of nihilistic version of punk for Mm -hmm. some people and for me at the time they were just like a really i just uh loved them and thought that they deserved to be remembered and so i finally bit the bullet and started the label in order to do a record for them wow that's yeah and then (laughs) uh, it just sort of like snowballed from there
1: yeah yeah so like so when gsl was like really rolling on all cylinders how did, did, how, much, how big a staff did you have like was it a pretty good size like was it a couple people
0: um yeah it was it was i uh there was never more than 4 people on the staff okay um it was always fairly modest okay. um yeah it, it, there was a, a moment where there was um kind of like intern kids coming in for credit and that sort of thing mm-hmm. like to help out with mail order and that kind of stuff but as far as actually um, people getting paid it was it was never more than four okay and um for the for the vast for the for the for the most for the most of the years the label existed it was really just me and maybe one other person
1: okay because man you put out some great stuff like it that was well, such you. a cool label that's when i I would start like digging through i I'm trying to remember. The first, uh, the first record I got it was on GSL uh, because I saw the logo on the back and I was like, what is this? And so I like, I because hm. it didn't seem like, I didn't picture it as a record label. I was like, what is it? gold Google, you know, whatever. And then I started yeah. looking through the that, site. That and makes, like,
0: that's music to my ears actually yeah, to hear you say that. It's
1: awesome because I had no idea. <laughs> I was like, who is, like, is this the artist? Like, what is this? And so then I started digging and that's when I started finding these bands and then like kind of piecing things together, um, uh-huh. you know, and so, I mean, yeah, um, amazing legacy with that label. Like it was fucking awesome. Well, thank and you. so, like, when did you and Omar get together and and meet? And then kind of because uh, that was the one thing that was confusing to me when I was getting into the label is like, you know, who is who is what? What is who? Like, right uh, on on that. Like, and then I, you guys kind of took over his catalog, right? As far as like when he started releasing and record like six records a year or whatever, and like the. Um sort of yeah okay.
0: it, it got it gets yeah it gets kind of it gets a little confusing so, so gsl started when i when i was in college mm-hmm. um soon soon after the soon after the time that it started i actually met him um he he would come to, he came to uh to to denver and boulder um, to visit a, a mutual friend of ours, who actually is somebody I just saw last week in Denver, ironically enough, um, that kid, his parents, I believe, were split up, so he spent half his year in El Paso and half in Denver. Okay. So Omar would come and visit him, and one on one of those trips, they came and saw Angel Hair. Okay. And so we met, and um, I didn't really think much of it, you know. Occasionally, we'd bump into each other um, here and there over the years, and I started becoming aware of it. The drive-in within a couple of years of that and then um ironically it was somebody i know um from a group called horace pinker if you remember them i do um so one of the guys i i i hadn't i knew them from way back in the early 90s because uh a group that i was had been in uh, had toured with the band Monsula. if you remember them on the I lookout uh-huh. so um anyway I, I every time we'd go through el paso i'd kind of like see these guys from horace pinker and I think it was the last time the VSS played there, which would have been in 97. I remember him coming up to me and telling me about this group that he had just signed called at the drive-in and how they're basically going to be his, you know, meal ticket into old age. And uh, <laughs> the, the real irony of that apparently is that he really did fuck them from what I understand. Oh, like, man. For, for, for years um, they had nothing good to say about him. So um, hopefully that's true. And I'm not just bad mouthing him publicly. Sure. Um, right now uh but um anyway so um yeah uh gsl you know i moved to the bay area and then um gsl kind of became synonymous with locust the locust and um once once that happened the the, you know the sort of like churning um hive of activity that the that it was kind of just sort of like amped up a little bit and so Um, I can't remember how it came about exactly, but there was a tour of of Japan that we went with um, Locust supporting at the Uh drive-in at the end of, um, at the very beginning of 2001. Okay. And um, that was right before they pulled the plug on at the drive-in, like the month, you know, a couple weeks before. Yeah. Um, So I had sort of reconnected with them in a big way at that, uh, having known them on and off for years and, um, just bumping into them on tour and that kind of, that kind of thing. I sort of, sort of reconnected with them in a big way uh, because of that Japan trip. Okay. And um, it was at that point that I sort of, you know, I realized that they had this other group de facto that was like a dub band. And Mm I, I love, I love that kind of music. And so we all sort of, um, you know, we, we kind of enjoyed the fact that we were all into that. And uh, so the first thing that I, that, I officially did with them was uh, offered to put out a de facto album, which um, wound up coming out right before the Mars Volta EP, the first EP. But those two things sort of happened.
1: That might have been what I got first, because I remember looking up de facto, because de facto was was, uh, Omar, Cedric, and then it was um, uh, Ike and Jeremy Ward, right? Yes. Okay. It had
0: started in, El, it's, it started in El Paso without Ikey and okay. they did do a, they did do a record while they were in El Paso as a trio. Okay. And then, um, ironically, like I was the only person that did this. So I, so, so in addition to the record label, I had a distribution company for a few years Okay, in the Bay area called bottleneck. And, um, it's, it just so happens that bottleneck was the only distributor that, that picked up that de facto record, mm-hmm. the first one. And, um, It it sold so poorly that I wound up boxing up like 40 of the 50 records and shipping them back to El Paso, by which time the guy who had put the record out, a good friend of all of ours named Zeke, who's still around, um, he he had like closed his PO box or something. So this box of records just went into this limbo in the postal service system. And then like (laughs) a a year later, it spit them out and sent them back to me. (laughs) By which point at the drive-in were huge. Yeah. And so I got these 40 copy, 40 beat up copies of this, like incredibly rare by that point, de facto record. So, um, (laughs) that was, that was kind of fun.
1: Free storage. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. It was, uh, it was just one of those funny things. So, yeah. So, uh, at that point, um, during the process of making that de facto record, um, Omar approached me about, uh, Basically, um, us, you know, us partnering and and the label be- becoming sort of their home. Mm-hmm. Um, they the, let's just I mean, the, the 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 they're moving to a big to a major label was a foregone foregone conclusion. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but this was sort of a way for them to have a p- more of a kind of permanent base, I guess. Yeah. Okay. As imp- as impermanent as it actually proved to be, but sure. uh, um, <laughs> that was the idea at the time. So, uh, so yeah. So from that moment on, that was about two thousand two, I guess. By then, that de facto record came out in two thousand one. I uh, maybe they both came out in two thousand two. Anyway, regardless, right around then is when um, that all took place, and and that lasted for the for the remainder of the label, which was about. Five five more years from that
1: point. Okay, because I remember I I remember I talked talked about this with Juan, but I met Omar one time, and it was when Mars Volta came through um, the, the first first like group of shows. They hit Portland. They played this club called the Meow Meow, which is now like two condos. That's it. Like, yeah, it's crazy. And so Omar, like, I'm six foot five, so like Omar walked <laughs> right in front of me, and all I saw was a little bit of hair. And I looked down. And I was like, oh my god, who? I didn't realize how small he was, and he was hand-drawn, so they had paper sleeve CDRs of the Tremulant EP that he was hand-drawing. When you bought one, he'd hand-draw something on the cover, and he he drew a clock with, instead of hands on the clock, it was two cock and balls, and it says, Time to Rock. That's all it was. And it <laughs> sounds like him. Yeah, so that was <laughs> hilarious like that was yeah and then Mars Volta did the the thing like that's crazy that's the only time I've ever come and co- and we were label mates twice like label mates on Rise oh, fearless, and course. label mates yeah. on Fearless so like Sure. Uh yeah and that's never never materialized into anything else but besides that and that was before of course we had signed to either label um but yeah, that's hmm. well, that's hilarious.
0: So, that it's funny because when you mentioned that right now, I thought you were gonna say I thought you were gonna say something else, which had to do with. Um, now I've been to Meow Meow, and I I can't remember what it was called before then, but it was another club before that, and the VSS actually played there uh,
1: at least once. Um, uh, with like the one foot t- one foot tall wood stage and like uh a-
0: yeah and it was like yes and it, but it had like a, remember it had like a weird like a either like a shaped light in the stage or there was some kind of hexagonal i don't know there was something cool about it that made it feel like almost like a dance club or something weird um but it was definitely the same place i, I, I definitely was there i've definitely been back there with the locust i was probably there for that Mars Volta thing that you're talking about but actually what I thought you were going to mention was the what I in my mind is the first time they came there and actually maybe it was the second but they did this tr- they did a West Coast thing with Ugly Casanova Oh okay no I um and so this I mean this was like <sighs> This was, this was this was probably 2001. This was probably the end of 2001. I'm sure it's easy to, to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, we came up there, and um, their show was I think at a place called the Bluebird. Does that ring a bell? Blue? No. Uh, Blue,
1: I know the Bluebird in Denver, but the um, no.
0: Okay, so not the Blue. Uh, no. So it was um, uh, okay, the Black was it, Blackbird. Blackbird. Yes, yeah, the so,
1: Blackbird right off the freeway. It's no yes, longer that, a club at all. But yeah, I know. So that's. that's
0: what, that that's where the show was, and that's where it happened that night. That was the first show with Ugly Casanova. But we pulled into town with somebody in the van talking about Satyricon, yes. and so I drove the van to Satyricon, and we loaded in there, and then we sat down and ordered dinner. <laughs> and somebody like got the whatever the weekly is called, and was like, "Wow, there's the show's not listed tonight. How weird." Yeah, and, the Mercury um, or whatever, probably. Had a, yeah, Willamette we week. had uh, we had loaded into the wrong club. <laughs> <laughs> so that that only ever happened once. Thankfully.
1: Oh man, but, um, I worked at Satyricon yeah. as well. After so Manny Wolfson, who owns the other clubs, bought Satyricon and and started doing that before they demolished it and made apartments. But uh, yeah, that's a that's an interest. That was an interesting club.
0: Uh, yeah, but, actually, it never played there, but um, always seemed like it'd be an interesting place. But for you sure. loaded
1: in there at least. You get you, you loaded you, in, yeah. You then dipped then your toe in the
0: pool, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was, you know, needless to say, that was the uh, cause for much uh, joviality over the years. Man, the Blackbird
1: <laughs> is where we actually played our our showcase show for Rise Records when we signed with them. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Like way back when Craig was ready to throw in the towel, and he's like, "Man, no one." I've never recouped a record. Like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll put out a record for you guys. But, you know, and I think he spent like $1,000 on recording and everything all in and, and ended up getting bought out by Fearless and he made his money back, of course. And, uh, wow. I think he's not, they just sold the BMG, I think, for an astronomical amount of money. But, um, yeah. Hmm. So it was, it was, that was a whole interesting situation. But what, uh, so, getting off of gsl like what what ended gsl like what was it that was it the whole shift in the industry uh was it just i mean just kind of fizzled out like what because it was such there, a solid catalog
0: well thank you I um there in hindsight there was i think a lot of contributing factors i think um certainly first and foremost was the fact that we put out a, we put out too many records we put out um we put out every rec- every one of our friends' bands who came along who wanted to do a record, basically, and okay. um, sort of had a hard time saying no. And probably, um, s- certainly, sh- should have not put out some of the records we did, and s- probably should have spent less on on others um, than we did. But um, you, you know, it's easy to it's easy to look back and say that now. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, you know, it was definitely getting more and more difficult to, to have, to have success. Um, Each, each consecutive record uh, would cost more and more to promote and uh, market. And um, the results were, you know uh, more and more disappointing. Mm -hmm. And, and again, like it's easy to look back on it now and say, well, yeah, we should have been like, you know, those bands should have been on tour. (laughs) Yeah. You know, (laughs) duh. (laughs) But, um, you know, uh, in the, in the zeitgeist of the moment and the, and certainly in the, you know, and I, have had this discussion with a lot of other record labels, um, who were part of the system that we were and not even, and and other, and, and other systems, you know, it's like you get into a situation where it's kind of like the, you're, you're the impetus is there. You're, you're compelled to just, constantly be putting stuff out, yeah. um, to, ma- to sort of maintain a steadiness to the whole, to the whole business model. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's opening up the door for, for a lot of, um, compromising, I mm-hmm. think. Um, you know, it's, but yes, the, 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 changing industry, the, um, you know, I remember that I, I, I remember it as the Christmas of 2000, six as being the year everybody got iPods. I I don't know if I'm right about that or not, but to me, that's the year that was the, that was the one that did it. Like our, our, um, physical sales reports, like dropped off like that at following January after that Christmas, that was it. Like the numbers never, the numbers never came back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was, there was all of those factors, Then compounded by the fact that the single most popular thing that we had, the Mars Volta, who were up, yeah, I mean, they they were, like, in a league of their own, sales-wise, but Mm -hmm. the irony is that, like, the major label got to press the CDs for a dollar and sell hundreds of thousands of them, and we were pressing $25 records and selling them for $24, Jeez, you know, not all the time. I mean, we, you know, we, we we managed to rectify that one pretty early on. But the very that very first pressing of DeLisle in the Comatorium, we we actually lost money on each copy of.
1: That's insane. That's like what <laughs> so, Walmart does with TVs just to get people in the door. But you can't yes. do that. That's fucking yeah. insane.
0: Yeah. Wow. So you know, it, it's so ironic to be to you know you have one artist who's capable of selling five or 10,000 copies of something, but you need to, you need to mortgage a house to pay, to pay for them. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, other artists who we can, literally can't give away 500 copies of a, of a CD or single buy. Uh-huh. Um, so it was just a sort of like kind of the, that the disparity between those two things and that, and you know, um, you know, frankly, Omar was getting really busy. He was starting to make films. He, he and I, had been really, um, so c- c- like we had such a, such a shared focus and, and commitment to the idea of what GSL could be for such a long time. And then at some point I realized that we just, you know, we kind of weren't on the same page anymore. Yeah, And, um, it was, it was, um, it just started feeling like something that had, um, you know, in my life was just starting to feel like it was overstaying its welcome. And I wasn't really having fun doing it. And I, you know, there's all, yeah. And there's, you know, there's, there's all the other minutia. There's the accounting that you have to do that, you know, if if you're not into accounting, having to be an accountant, it really is not cool. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, things like that. So, you know, um, it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, at the time it just seemed like a a decision kind of made under duress, but a huge relief. Um, and I look back on it now and I don't know if I would do the same thing, but I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity opportunity that I had with it in the first place and, and what we were able to do for a while. And, you know, I, I certainly don't frankly, I don't miss it. It was, it was, it was, um, it was a lot of work and it was definitely, um, for me the most exciting parts about it were the traveling and the you know the holding a finished product in, in your hand after maybe spending five or six months oh yeah you know trying to bring it into creation but be outside of those moments it was just um not uh something i could see myself doing for a long time
1: yeah man well what a cool i mean a uh, cool experience too you know and and Absolutely. such a mark on on music as well regardless of the outcome like that stuff's there forever like it's i mean that that happened it's in history it's and it's you know on everyone's shelves you know like it's it's such a cool thing to i mean it, even now that the label itself was a was a, a tangible thing you could hold on to you know like it may no longer be around but the same with a record like you can always go back to it you know like it's, sure yeah. it, when, when the time strikes or when the, the mood strikes or you know it's just a, it's a huge deal, you know, and, and I appreciate that for one you putting in the work on that because I found so much cool music through it and, and, uh, but you well, so, I appreciate you saying so. Thank you. Absolutely, man. You, so, so then artwork started to become a thing after that shortly, not maybe not shortly after, but that's kind of what I'm, what I'm getting at here is it seems like kind of like with your mom, uh, once that stuff dried up artwork came into your life again to where it was almost like out of necessity inspired the it, correct me if i'm wrong here but like a necessity inspired the the creative art art side like with your mom where she's like i have to do something to help yeah. my husband get his career yeah. you know i have to do something then those pencils you got for for birthdays and christmas and stuff like started to come back <laughs> right when you needed it that is cool to me if that is correct i
0: that is that's um Maybe I'm yeah that poetizing really, it a bit but no i think you i think you got it pretty much in a nutshell i mean it's um i did go through this um funny um period of time where i thought well i have all of this um experience running a record label like i am certainly like an i could be an asset to a uh, you know i live in los angeles i could be an asset to a re- to a, re- a proper record company and mm-hmm. um had this period of a few weeks just going around turning in resumes everywhere and and getting absolutely nowhere with that and then just you know you know, just to having to be honest with myself, like, what would I do if one of these people called? I don't I don't want to do that. I don't want to go work in one of those places. Like, yeah. you know, like I would be – it would be um, it just – I have had one or two um, corporate jobs over the years just to make ends meet, and it's, it's, it's like, just soul-crushing for me. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, I I, I felt like um, the time had come to sort of – you know, the art thing is weird for me because it's like um, there was – there was, um, aspects to it that came fairly easily when I was a kid. So I kind of took it for granted, but then I realized that like to really be great at it, like required such a degree of commitment that I could never bring myself to, to, um, adhere to like, Mm -hmm. I, to me, I, I craved immediacy. I craved, um, (laughs) instant gratification and music provided that. And even, even graphics for music, um, provided that, you know what I mean? I got so much more out of making a cool, what I felt like it was a cool flyer for an awesome show. Um, then I would get out of, you know, weeks of working on a painting mm-hmm. that, that I was actually getting credit for and was supposed to be like, you know, y- using as a, as a basis to start carve a career out for myself. And, um, yeah. So that, yeah, at, at that point, um, really trying to uh, re-examine myself and also t- started to inject some, some discipline into what I was doing creatively became um, mandatory. The, the ironic part is that I still managed to um, <laughs> avoid true, like long-term commitment. And, and, and uh, let me just back up and say that, like I, when it comes to art, like I, I, I have, I've, I've always aspired to be a painter, mm-hmm. and um, it's provided no small amount of anxiety and uh, and uh, frustration in my life. And I do get the paints out every few years and and like I'll be I'll go at it for like two or three weeks, and then it's, it's just done. I'm just I have it out. it's out of my system. I can put it all away again for years but it never really goes away. It's always there. It's kind of this, you know, I'm anticipating like being 85 and like <laughs> spending all my days, like, you know, and, <laughs> standing in front of a canvas. Cause I just, you know, until I, I, I can't imagine what I'm going to have enough discipline or focus to actually really knuckle down and do it mm-hmm. until then. But, um, I did. So, at, so this is, this is my long way of saying that I, although I did embrace art, I did it while still embracing the immediacy and the the, the um, instant gratification part, which which digital totally um, dovetailed with. Mm-hmm. So, like at, at this moment where this need came along for me to sort of reinvent myself, so too did um, Google Google Images and um, uh, you know all of that's my, the whole like. Um, the art the the art thing for me developed out of stuff that i was doing for gsl first so yeah. i i i you know just out of necessity i was making ads or catalogs and that kind of stuff all the time mm-hmm. and so that definitely like you know when it when it, ti- when it when it came time to just you know really focus on making art i felt like i'd already kind of laid the the foundation with that a little bit with that stuff so um th- the transition wasn't that difficult but um you know it was uh Frankly, for me, like the biggest obstacle with all of that was just overcoming my own personal hangups about the perceived artistry of that stuff. If mm-hmm. that makes any sense, like I still, I still have mixed feelings about whether what I do is art. Really? Yeah, that's oh. probably weird, and probably that's probably not what people who buy my books or whatever want to hear. Yeah, things. but um, I, you know, I, I do it because I feel utterly compelled to do it and i have never made art that has satisfied me as much but i but i don't know if it's art
1: well it's see that's an honest that's an honest uh an honest um deal there where well, i think people will appreciate that you know like knowing how the artist feels about their own work you know like it. that's an interesting take i've never i mean questioning it like that is interesting to me you know, because you are compelled to do it. You know what I mean? Like that's that's I, yeah. it right there. Regardless, and I,
0: and I and I believe in the in I believe in the images, and I believe in the message that's in some of them, or the or the you know the the, the absence of a message in others. But um, you know, I I it's the weirdest thing. I, I it's really an odd thing because it's something I feel absolutely like I was put here to do. Mm-hmm. But I, but I. I find myself looking at it sometimes and wondering um, what that va- you know what what value it has um, what um, what what how it'll. How it will be interpreted in a hundred years mm-hmm. if it lasts that long? You know what I mean. This cat is driving me crazy. I'm sorry. You no, know, that's fine. It, this, it
1: this. absolutely will last hundred years. You know, like it's it's amazing stuff. And like that's, the, the, I think it sounds like you need to sit down with Mac and have him have him drop some sticks on the <laughs> counter for you. You know, have him blow your mind. Yeah. The only way absolutely. Mac man can. And you know, like. <laughs> Yeah. I love, I love how you critique what you do and, and with an honest heart, you know, like it's, it's all, but what you're creating is fantastic. I mean, it's, it's, I, I appreciate it, you know, as small as that is, like, I appreciate what you're doing and it's, it's really, really cool. And, and, you know, art is, what is it? The, the artists, there's so many quotes about art and, and, you yeah. know, but. Yeah. I mean, what really defines it? I mean, and, and it's all how people kind of perceive it, you know, like if, someone, if someone like myself or someone down, the, you know, the person walking their dog over in the park across the street comes across what your books are, you know, like, and they're blown away by it. I mean, mission accomplished, you know, yeah. like it, right there or the second you sell something, you become, you know, like they say, you become a real artist, you know, like I sold one of my yeah. paintings, I sold this, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I appreciate that you're honest about how you feel about it, but I really feel that you are absolutely in art. it isn't, it is art. I'll say it right now. It is art. Well, thank you.
0: I I mean, I I appreciate you (laughs) saying that. And and truth, truthfully in my own life, like, you know, I, I like if, if artists, if if art is something that, that the artists traditionally suffer for, I definitely feel like I've suffered for mine. You know what I mean? Like I haven't lost, I haven't, I haven't been destitute or I haven't cut an ear off or any of that stuff, but you know what I mean? Like I've definitely chosen, um, the, uh, the road that feels, that feels right for me and, and yeah. the, and the, and the, and the path that that, you know, that the, um, I can sleep at night and feel and feel like I've, you know, I'm being true to myself, but it's definitely, um, there have certainly been opportunities to to take things in a different direction from time to time, and and I just, it's just I I, I can't. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, some people just aren't made to. The one thing to think about in perspective is, in today's climate, someone who goes about things their own way in a DIY style, where you don't have a retirement or a pension waiting for you, you don't have. I mean, you've taken your own path, you've learned you did accounting right fucking hate that shit but you did it because you <laughs> had to do it you know yeah you have suffered for what you do you know like that and even now like you've done things your own way but you have to keep grinding to make it day after day after day you can't absolutely just rest yeah. on your laurels you know you may be doing this till you're 85 or 90 years old to keep rolling you know what i mean the amount sure. of wor- extra work that takes to not have that security blanket of doing the corporate job or the trade job where you have a, a pension and you can – when I'm 65, I will no longer have to – I can then do what I want. You've mm-hmm. spent your whole – so the the risk-reward there is is terrifying. And yes. that itself is suffering for art and the fact that you're compelled to do it, that truth – Behind it is massive. Like that is what's going to keep you going till you're 100 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah, where you
0: I, I absolutely. Think you lay you're right. your head I on know. your
1: pillow, whether it's in the nursing home or it's at home. You know, you're in front of your canvas. You're doing it your own way, man. Like that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I talk to a lot of people on the show, and there's not everybody is is in that vein. You know, where I mean, that's a unique thing where very very rarely is someone compelled to that that uh, magnitude of of this is what i'm going to do i'm going to be you know 50 60 years old and i'm still going to keep doing this you know regardless mm-hmm. of not having the safety net and we're going to see where it goes you know yeah. because you have to and that is something special that you cannot teach you can't i mean you have it you, you that is who you are and it's massive like it's it's such a cool thing and that's why we have so much cool shit cool records cool artwork <laughs> like the people that do that as such as yourself is why people like everybody else have something amazing to look at or identify with in their own way or play for their kids or, uh, you know, inspire them. That's what inspires everyone else to keep doing their stuff, you know, and give yeah. them hope. It's a huge thing.
0: And it's, it's, well, it's nice to hear you say that. Yeah. That puts it in perspective for sure.
1: Yeah. I not to keep rambling on. About it, but, no, no, but, uh, no. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's incredible. So, let's talk about uh mind writer is that is that is, is something going to happen with that i i all i got was the instagram picture from gray yeah
0: uh we're in the process actually we're recording a few songs right now okay and um with any luck there'll be something online in the next um you know two three weeks hopefully okay um yeah i so i moved to hot springs arkansas a couple of years ago okay um almost uh, just about exactly two years ago actually and um I moved here to uh, take over running a nonprofit organization that's existed here for about 15 years. Okay. Called Low key Arts, and um, I uh, you know, haven't been in a functioning band for quite a long time. The last mm-hmm. time I was in a band was about 10 years ago in LA, and even even then, we you know we spent a year uh, writing music and, and eventually made a record, but didn't even play a show. So, um, it's just kind of been off my radar for a while. I I really hadn't, um, expected to do it again. Um, you know, every now and then like JP or somebody will uh, invite me to do something, which is amazing and fun and definitely an opportunity to like, you know, dust it off and, and get back in the studio and stuff, which is great. But, um, actually, actually, you know, starting a band or something would definitely not, uh, on my, Uh, priorities list but Mm -hmm. having said that um, some guys here in town and Hot Springs who um, have all played uh, have all played together in other bands uh, a lot in the past and then actually two of them were in um, one of the last bands that I put out on GSL um, who were called Attractive and Popular Um, so it's in a a sense it's Mind Riders kind of uh, a little bit of a full circle kind of thing where Mm -hmm. it's um uh so yeah these these guys basically um started playing about a year ago and um approached me about it after they had written a few songs and um you know just all sort of fell into place i wasn't um definitely wasn't anticipating it and um our uh one of the guys in the band i work with as well and our 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 work schedule here with the with the nonprofit is pretty um, relentless about half the year. So we kind of go in, in these sort of um, cycles where there's like a big event. So there's three months of planning for that event. And Mm -hmm. then there's like a month or two of downtime. So he and I have been in the same, the same cycle with one another basically for a couple of years. And so it sort of, um, you know, makes the, it makes the, it makes doing something like a, a band a little bit more, feasible because we're just we're pretty much in tune with one another time wise yeah um so but having said that i mean we you know uh we're off to a great start but we also we've been together a year and haven't you know uh, when angel hair had been together a year like um you know a lot a lot more had happened in that year Mm -hmm. so things something that becomes apparent the older you get the the slower everything seems to move (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) Um, just to co- even coordinating people to come and rehearse in the same room mm-hmm. for an hour is like so much more difficult than you would ever have imagined it being when you're 20. Um, and so, you know, kind of maneuvering that stuff is, as slows everything down a little bit, but, um, to answer your, to answer your question, I don't really know. We, we'd, we'd love to take the band's as far as we can yeah um i would love to make an album um, certainly would love to be able to have the band be a vehicle to tour and you know to me that's always been the most rewarding part of all of this is the travel part mm-hmm. like above and beyond anything like i just want to go and see the world and and you know um music's always been a, a really incredible way of doing that and meeting people and um certainly something I miss. That's probably the thing I miss the most. So if we could do that stuff, I would be thrilled. Um, beyond that, I don't really have any expectations cause you know, in, in a sense I've already done everything I ever wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. And now it's just sort of, um, the stuff that just feels good or sounds like, you know, going and playing three shows in Texas with Locus Sure. because they would ha- just because they would have us was incredible. You uh-huh, know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, um, things like that, you know. I, I, none of us, I think, are super excited about spending six weeks, you know, playing VFW halls to four <laughs> people or any of that yeah. stuff. Like, <laughs> um, but you know, if we have the opportunity to jump on something somewhere, or you know, if any of our previous um, experience means anything, that means enough to somebody to book us somewhere, and you know, there's a cool opportunity to be had then we'll definitely do that awesome oh, man. So, uh, beyond that i don't know
1: that's amazing i i when you have when you have stuff recorded definitely shoot me an email so I, I would love to hear it and and uh yeah definitely will i uh where where can i where can i snag this book that you were talking the colorado crew
0: ah okay so um <clears throat> Uh, Bob's, Bob's, uh, publishing imprint is called robot enemy books. Okay. Um, but having said that there is no website. So he, um, he is selling the books off of a blog, uh, which is just a big cartel site. If you search big cartel, Colorado crew, you'll find it.
1: Okay. Perfect. Um,
0: but it's also, it's on Amazon and, um, it's, you know, re- readily, I think available there and can ship internationally and everything. And, um,
1: does the same money exchange hands if i buy it through amazon or is it better to buy it through um
0: blog? i th- i think we get a couple dollars more through the blog i'll do it through um, the blog
1: i i like to support as much as i can because i yeah i use amazon for all sorts of like random household crap but when it sure. comes to artwork and, and actual creative works, I like to – whatever the most money gets to, to the creator Fantastic. Uh, is the way I go. So I'll do it from the blog. I'm going to – I'll put up um, – once I find that and w- when the episode comes out, I'll, I'll for sure put that in all the show notes and everything so people can snag this book because that that cool. sounds rad, dude. I, I'm stoked.
0: 322 pages Jeez. of uh, blood, sweat, and tears, but mostly uh, Sweat yeah <laughs> not much not much blood not much tears not much blood more sweat um, than anything. yeah but like yeah. you know any any band um or in, anybody who made waves in colorado in the 90s is likely to be in it that's awesome um so yeah we're we're very very proud of it and um hope people get a kick out of it
1: awesome well sonny dude i this has been awesome this has been one of the fun like most informative cool chats <laughs> i've had in a while man this is well, really awesome, cool. Thanks, I,
0: thanks man i'm glad to hear that
1: yeah thanks to shout out to juan and, and yeah and, and jp for just being awesome and then uh yeah yeah dude i thanks, i, I really enjoyed uh our time man i, I don't want to take up much more your afternoon i let you back to to life but um yeah <laughs> we'll good, we'll be in touch after this and and we'll work out a time the best suits this coming out um i've got like cool you know i always record a bunch and then i have everything and then i kind of who has who has what coming out and and kind of go about right. it that way um but uh yeah we can work all that stuff out afterwards but uh dude okay. thank you so much and and i say My this pleasure, a lot of man. times thank but thank you for your contribution to music and uh, you know to art in general and just like the the amount of hours i've spent listening to so things you've either had a hand in or created yourself has has enriched my life in a big way. So I've I been mean, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. And well,
0: uh, I'm very I'm very grateful to you for saying that. And it's um it's a pleasure talking to people who actually care about this stuff. So oh, thank man. you,
1: absolutely, Sunny. All right, man, take care, and and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Okay. All right, Dewey. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, brother. Bye. Take care. Bye. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode, that conversation with Mr. Sonny K from Gold Standard Laboratories, the VSS, Angel Hair, Mind Rider, and Colorado Crew. Go check out that book, guys. It's so badass. It is, I mean, I'm learning stuff left and right from this book that I didn't know about. Uh, I mean, the format's amazing. There's tons of photos and flyers and all sorts of awesome stuff. Um, So go check out Colorado Crew. Search it on Google. Find it on Amazon. Uh, and there's uh, there's a part one as well. I don't remember the name, um, but I'm ordering that one too now that I've gone through uh, Colorado Crew. So big thanks to Sonny K for coming on. Big thanks to Sonny K for his contribution to music and changing the scene and putting out some of the best records and the most interesting records on Gold Standard Laboratories. Uh, and for being an amazing artist, You know, living, living the life. And uh, yeah, big thanks to him for coming on and big thanks to Juan introducing us what an awesome dude so anyways guys thank you for coming back week after week we got tons of cool stuff coming to you uh, it's going to be an awesome 2020 we've got a bunch in the bag already and I'm doing a bunch this week it's going to be awesome so keep coming back hit that subscribe button tell a friend tell a family member show somebody um, you know shout out to you guys who've been with me since the beginning this has been a long journey so I appreciate you guys I mean so much really appreciate it All right, guys, I'm going to get out of here. I got a lot going on, so uh, we'll be back at you next week with a guest I don't want to announce yet because it's going to be awesome. Anyways, uh, check back next week, guys. Thank you so much, and as always, we'll see you on the radio.